the first four verses of Luke's gospel. And this is his account of the life of, of Jesus. He says, this is God's word. He says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, that's Luke, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You know, it's quite popular over the last couple of years, you may be aware of this, for, for many people, specifically celebrities, people who are well-known, to, to bring to light their, their stories of what has been called deconversion. Deconversion. You may have heard of that word before. You may not have. Really what it is, it's, it's their story of how they have moved away from Christianity, where they have moved from, from at one point in their life, they would say they would have had faith in Jesus, followed Jesus, would have believed in God, and how over a course of the period of their life, they have journeyed away, and they want to tell their story of how they have deconverted, how they have moved from belief in God to really what is we know as atheism. And it's kind of trendy, and often a lot of people do it because it's probably good for their, their self-image. It gets them back into the public life. And we had actually one instance of this in the past seven days. Well, I say kind of a deconversion story. I think you'll understand. And I'll reveal who this person is and the context in a moment. But let me, let me share a quote of what this person said this, this week. This is what they said. God would not allow that to happen to me if God existed. I don't believe in God anymore because of the way my children, my family have treated me. There's nothing to believe anymore. I'm an atheist. Let me say some of that again. I don't believe in God anymore because of the way my children and my family have treated me. There's nothing to believe anymore. I'm an atheist. Who's that person and what are they talking about? Well, that person was Britney Spears. Britney Spears, uh, number one on Gilly Spotify, I think I'm correct in saying. Uh, hit me baby one more time, a firm favorite. Um, but that was Britney Spears. What was Britney talking about? Well, she was actually talking about something that you may be aware of, uh, uh, something that's been going on in her life. A legal battle regarding just the controlling nature of her of her father and her family have have kind of her sons in particular and her ex-husband have been you know, talking about her in the media and this is her response now if Brittany was ever a follower of jesus i really don't know but she definitely did at one point claim to have faith in god and actually interestingly enough she still has a, a, the cross emoji on her instagram which is a little bit strange but we have to admit she's been through a lot in her life, and what we know of Britney Spears, we probably can agree with that. But but the fact remains, and the question sort of comes to my mind, and maybe it comes to your mind as well once you read that quote, why does it seem just so easy for her to just dismiss belief in God? I'm not trying to undermine what she's went through at all, but just because people have treated her poorly, it seems just allow her to dismiss the notion that, you know, God doesn't, doesn't exist. 
People have been bad to me, so obviously God doesn't exist. And without trying to be too, you know, stoic about this, it's actually not great logic, is it? Essentially, what Britney Spears is saying in that quote is the same as saying, you know, I've had a terrible teacher, so I don't believe in education. I I don't believe in formal education. I don't believe in going to school and, and getting good grades because, you know, I had a terrible teacher. It's actually exactly the same thing. And that just sounds nonsense, doesn't it? Though some of us would probably be wholeheartedly celebrating that. Though there's a lot of emotion wrapped up in our comments and we appreciate it, it actually makes no sense. And when we come to consider the God of the Bible and we consider the Bible itself and what we believe in, we should be asking the question about what, how we come to our conclusions. What are they based on? For many people who have maybe ran away from Jesus and Christianity, it's, it's based on bad experiences of Christians it's based off emotions, depending on what side of the bed we get off of. Or we've heard some hip, trendy TikToker or influencer say some one line, even though they've spent all their life looking through a screen, haven't went outside in four and a half years. We get all our information often in wrong places. So where are we to base our conclusions? Well, we're to base it on truth, because that's where we want all our conclusions and all of our values and beliefs, regardless of it's this question I'm thinking about tonight, or in any aspect of life, we want it to be based on truth. That is that we want sure, fast evidence. That's what we want. But the tragedy in our part of the world, and that is the Western world, Europe, North America, is that truth has been completely undermined. You know, your truth is your truth. You do you. Whatever you believe is grand, but you know, I'm just going to believe my own thing. And those things just cannot coexist at the same time. And this is vitally important when we think about the Christian response to this matter. As Christians, our truth comes from God. And this book, the Bible, and you know what? That is just laughed at. It's scoffed at. It isn't taken seriously. Even for some of you guys, as you hear me say that, you, know, you sort of squint your eyes. You're a little bit embarrassed by that. You know, there's science. There's all this other stuff. You know, this really, really old book. Surely we've moved on from that. And we're so tempted to look at every other possible uh, source in the world. But often we, we, what our conclusions come are lacking. At the end of the day, as Christians, all we believe in comes from, from this book, and we need to know that we can trust it. And often many of the answers and many of the reasons that we go to and run to, they may appear good for a while, but sometimes they're not great or convincing. So we need to think about why we trust the Bible. And that is exactly what we get in the introduction to Luke's gospel. He sets out precisely how he went about getting his gospel as a count of the life of Jesus, but also why. And they're just our two simple questions. That's all we're going to be thinking about tonight. We're going to think, how did Luke get his gospel? But why did he even bother doing this in the, in the first place? And my prayer is that we'll see how important this is to, to the bedrock of our faith in Jesus. But also to remind you, above all, that there is a God who is faithful and wants you to know and to have certainty. 
Luke is uh, one of the earliest records of Jesus' life, about 60 AD, so not a, not a million miles from 2,000 years ago. So who, who is Luke? Luke uh, was a doctor. He was actually a traveling companion of a great missionary called Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And, and Luke is two-part volume. So the first half is Luke, and then the second half is a book called Acts that we find later in the New Testament. And, and he plainly tells us that he's writing this, this account for one man. We see that in verse 3. This guy, Theophilus. And more than likely, Theophilus was a, well, he wasn't a Jew, didn't come from like uh, the Jewish religion, but he was an early convert, and he probably had a high status, as, as Luke calls him, most excellent. And we're going to think about our first question, how, how did, did Luke compile his gospel? And this is so crucial. Let me read the first few verses again. He says this, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Two points. First thing is this. Luke, Luke says there, there's other narratives this is not just his invention, and we know that because, as I've said, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He hasn't just made this up. Actually, more than likely, he had actually Mark's version of, of, of Jesus' life by this stage. But look what he says at the, at the end of verse 1. He says this. He says, the things that have been accomplished among us, among us. This isn't just Luke on his own. He's not a maverick just doing his own thing. It's not his own individual story but that there's other people that's a collective. And that's important as we think about this. And the Bible's made up of many, many, many different authors. It's not just, just one man who's just written this book. And Luke is just one of them. But also Luke records the things. The things. And really that is the content, which we'll get into in a moment. But what he's talking about there, and I'll say this really quickly, is he's talking about the, the prophecies. That is, the, the predictions that were made previously that were to happen and then that have happened about a someone who would come and that someone was, was Jesus. Second thing is his sources. We'll spend a bit more time here. We get to the sources of Luke's investigation. Verse 2 says, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Luke wasn't around when Jesus was alive. He's what we would call, he was a second generation Christian. So that means that he wasn't an eyewitness. Though he roamed with those people who were eyewitnesses. And Luke speaks directly to those sources. Think for a moment with me. Think of, of a courtroom or any detective show maybe you've watched in the past. If ever there is an eyewitness or maybe a video footage that is shown, it just changes everything, doesn't it? With, without that, you know, a case may hang in the balance, but the moment that there's an eyewitness account, a primary source, or there's some live footage, it changes everything. I've been watching uh, Line of Duty. I'm about four or five years well behind that trend. But uh, during the second season of Line of Duty, AC-12, they're on the brink of bringing down a corrupt police officer and solving a huge, huge crime. And they're just waiting on the testimony of just one key eyewitness. They just need one key eyewitness and it's going to change everything. But that key eyewitness, they won't give it to them because they're being bribed and they're really, really scared of what would happen if they give this account, they give their eyewitness testimony. 
And as I'm watching it, and I'm sure you've been in this situation before, if it's watching the TV or if it's watching in the cinema, you're so frustrated because you just want that person to go and to give their testimony because you know when they give their testimony, everything changes. Everything changes because they were an eyewitness, they saw it, and because they were there, you know that you can trust it. Eyewitness changes everything because it conveys truth. When we want the truth in a courtroom, we want that type of evidence. A case hangs or falls on it. And Luke is basing everything off eyewitnesses, not stories based off of riddles that some person down the road told them. And that is crucial because it means you can be trusted. Nothing Luke records contradicts the other gospel accounts, but actually they confirm and support one another. And in fact, Luke in particular employs a really class technique. And it's just, let me share this. Uh, Luke uh, 1 verse 5 is going to come up uh, on the screen. And let me read it for you. Luke has this little start off section intro. And then he says this, get straight into it. He says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. You know, I love the Bible and I love Luke's gospel for one for many reasons. One of the great reasons is that it is filled with incredible detail. It's inc- filled with, with wonderful, fine and specific information. And we get this in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. You know, if someone ever says to you, you know, the Bible, little rubbish, I, you couldn't trust that. Take them straight to Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. Luke gives us five testable names, locations, job titles. You know, often we think of the Bible as some sort of like fairy story. We sort of put in the sort of the Disney princess category. And often that's what a lot of people think of. Luke doesn't start off his gospel with, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. He doesn't start off like that at all. No, he gives names. He gives titles. He gives places. And because he does that, he's actually implicitly given us dates as well. And this is the great thing about the Bible. It actually opens itself up to critique. It's telling us this was in history. This actually happened. This wasn't just sort of vague and random, but actually, here's the places, here's the people, this is what they did, and this is when it happened. And actually, we don't actually find that in other religions and ancient texts. So with all this together, Luke tells us, verse 3, having followed everything closely for some time, you know, this wasn't, you know, the, the night before the exam, a revision cram session for Luke. He had thought about it for a while. He thought it would be a good thing to write an orderly account for this guy called Theophilus. And then he gives us the why behind this gospel. And this is really, it's the heartbeat. Why? Why does Luke do this? What does Luke want Theophilus to have? If we look at uh, verse 4 again, Alistair. Verse 4 says this, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. The word uh, for certainty in the Bible, if you aren't aware, it wasn't written in uh, the Queen's English, but it was written in Greek. And that word really has the idea of firmness, stability, undoubted truth, security from enemies or danger. It's robust. Luke is saying that, that he's done the groundwork on these true events in history surrounding this, this man from Galilee. And he says that the Theophilus, you, you can have certainty. 
You can fully trust what has been recorded. The office obviously had some, some prior knowledge. We see that at the, the tail end of verse 4. He ha- things that he had been taught. He had some information stacked up in his head. But he knows, and, and so does Luke, that that really isn't enough. And, and you know, probably this guy, Theophilus, was a man that was actually raised in some sort of pagan religion, which, which, which had no sense of assurance or structure. And he really needed this. He needed certainty. He needed assurance. And so do, so do, so do I, and, and so do you. And so much of what goes on in our world is the same as the pagan religion he was coming out of. All of us, are we're searching for something to plant our feet on, aren't we? And so much of the alternatives to, to Christianity, they promise much, but actually they deliver little. They're insecure foundations. Yeah, they may seem appealing, popular, forward-thinking, progressive, but actually it's not long until cracks appear. See that in cancel culture, don't we? You realize that they're based on half-truths, misguided ideas, temporary highs. And actually, once we see the, we actually think of the people that promote these ideas, we look at their lives and we see they're absolutely morally bankrupt. But Luke's gospel can offer you certainty. And this is what it can offer you, and by extension, the whole Bible. And this is why every week at CE, we, we, we get someone up, you'll be glad to hear it's not me every week, we get someone up here to speak from God's word, because that is what we need. Especially as we, we start a, a new term, we want to plant that into, into all of our minds, and we come to hear from God, we want to hear from his word we want to hear from his truth and what he has to share to us. We want everything to be rooted in his truth. This is our foundation, but it's also our guide. And it's what all of us need for all of life. The Bible, it's reliable. It can give you certainty. And this is yours. This is what God wants for you. God does not want you to make some blind leap of faith. Often that's what we think of. See, once I say the word faith, for some of us, we just think of us closing our eyes and sort of just jumping into the unknown. See, once we think of faith, Christian faith, it is not that. Can I say that clearly? But it's this type of faith. It's faith that's based of truth. Robust evidence that undergirds this truth. And this is what God wants for us. This is what Luke is saying. If I can condense it like this, he's saying the Theophilus, but he's saying to all of us, he's saying, read my accounts and you'll see the facts on which Christianity is based. You'll find something firm and solid and absolutely trustworthy. It's a sure foundation for your life. But it's important to say this as I close. That this truth is just not merely a set of facts. You know, there's a lot of people that study this book who work in seminaries and colleges, and they know it better than I do. But it's, all it is, is is information. But the Word of God is not just to be information stuffed up into our heads. It's truth, yes, but it's gospel truth. And that is that it is good news. It is good news truth. Another man in the Bible who wrote one of the a gospel record, a guy called John, he says this in John 17, and verse 3. 
And this is the words of Jesus. Jesus gives this incredible prayer at the start of his sentence. And this is eternal life, that they know you, that is God the Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you see what, see what Jesus is saying there? Eternity, which is everything good forever, which begins when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. It's not when we just get to heaven. It actually starts when we are saved here is that we would know God. We would know who God is. How do we know God? To go to the top of Mount Everest or the morns, have some spiritual experience, get really close to God, look at the clouds. We know God through his word. And this is the good news. The good news of the Bible is that we get God. The best thing about heaven is we'll be with God. Incredible. And God doesn't want you just to have more information stuffed up into your brains, but he wants the truth of his word to change your life. And with us, as we, as we go through Mark's gospel in, in the next couple of months, really what Luke's prayer for, 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 for his readers and our prayers here at sea for all of us, myself included, is that we would come and we would see Jesus. We would come and we hear the truth of God's word We'll think about Jesus and his life, the miracles, his perfection. But we'll also come and we'll cast our eyes at the cross. We'll look at where Jesus died. We won't stay there. We'll also walk toward a tomb. And we'll see that it's empty, gloriously empty. Because we don't have a dead saviour. If our Savior said, stay dead, I can guarantee you, I would not be standing here and no one would be in this room. What Luke records is it's not some quaint little story, but it's God's story. I'm going to get brownie points from Gilly here because I'm going to quote one of his favorite authors and preachers, a guy called John Stott, who was a pastor in London. He says this about this whole idea. He says, Christianity, it's not a theory. It's not an idea, it's not a philosophy. It's not a tale of a thing that really happened. Yet it is, it is not mere history. For it does something to the people to whom it is proclaimed. Those who witnessed the original events found that when the story was preached, it changed their lives. And the gospel can change your life. And actually it must, because if we see this as truth, we can't ignore truth. But we need to consider it. And if this is true, the Bible, and the evidence is stacked in its favor, all of us must humbly bend our knee and a wonderful, gracious Savior in Jesus Christ. And we can praise God that the gospel of Jesus can give you certainty and it can enable you to live a life how you were supposed to. Amen. Let me pray. And as I do, I'm going to invite the, the Olivia Rose and the band up to speak. Our God, we thank you for who you are. You're a God that wants the very best for us, and you don't want to leave us on, in the unknown. You don't want to leave us in the dark, in the lurch. But you want the very best for us, and that is to know truth. Father, we know that in our, in our worlds, we hear so much that is far from true. Father, I pray that you'd give us discernment to know what is true and that we would know 
that ultimate truth comes from you, a God who is true. Thank you for your word. Father, we don't worship the, the, these pages. We don't worship this, this book. But we're thankful that this book, these words, point us to you. They point us to your son, Jesus. Father, I pray this truth, this, this good news truth of Jesus and what he has done would change our lives. For some tonight, they know they, they've made that decision to follow you. For some, they're still on that journey. Father, help us to rest and have assurance in the certainty of your word. We ask in our Savior's name. Amen.